Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in reinventing what education is. And given the world's current circumstances, it seems like we're toying with how to reinvent education right now. I'm Rob McLeod and joined as always by Brendan O'Leary. Brendan, how are you today? Hi, my friend. I'm doing okay, given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And we shall get to that very soon. The date is the 28th of March. 2020. Oof, it's a hell of a time, Mac. What else can I say? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you put the timestamp on this because I've been listening to some podcasts lately which have made sure to say, hey, we're recording this and here's the date. Because it kind of seems like information isn't relevant two or three days into the future now. Like even some podcasts recorded like two or three days ago I'm listening to. I'm just thinking, oh, well, that's not the case anymore. That's not the situation. So given the way the world is at this current moment, our podcast is attempting to reflect on the world as it is this moment. By the time you hear this, things might be different. Today, we decided to take a little bit of a detour from our current exploration of traditional schools. So what are we going to do today, Rob? Well, today, I thought it would be worth taking a look at our narrative that we've had here on reinventing education, to look at the different values that are involved in school, to look at the different aspects, and try to make sense of the current experiment that we're seeing worldwide. You and I, just before we started recording, we had said, like, online learning is certainly nothing new, but the worldwide experiment to essentially shut down schools and ask schools to find online or distance education solutions for the time being this is unprecedented. Nothing has ever been done like this in the history of mankind. And we thought it would be worth using our narrative, our map, to try and make sense of some of what's going on right now. So if you're new to our podcast, we are going to use some jargon that we've developed, most of it inspired or influenced by the work of Ken Wilburn Integral Theory. But we would like to do the in a nutshell for you to give you an overview of our take on what you need to look at when you're wanting to reinvent, change, or alter the way education is. So, Brendan, would you like to do the in a nutshell? I'll give it a try. Robin, you can throw in anything at the end that maybe I miss. So we know that everyone wants what's best for kids. We want the best education for our children, for our students. But how do we do it? This is the key question. Now, all schools have three main aims generally. They are to build the morals or the citizenship of their students. A second aim, preparation for the world of work and the next step of school. And third, the development of the individual. Generally, we see three types of school. We have a traditional school based on the value of security. They put duty and authority at their core. We may see a second type of school, a mainstream school as we currently call them. They're based on the values of opportunity, meritocracy, achievement. The third type of school, the progressive school, that you might see based on the value of inclusion that deconstructs education in the search for meaning. It offers student choice and empowerment in building critical thinking skills. Now each of these three types of schools has their own way of being and doing and they're based on a strong sense of a specific value that's security or opportunity or inclusion. Now, each of the schools may potentially see the other values as doing things wrong. Now, in truth, each value system has its own babies and bathwater. Those are things we want to keep and things we might do well without. So here on Reinventing Education, we're exploring an emerging fourth value system, which is one of integration. Now, this value system seeks to utilize the strengths of each of the previous three values to meet the needs of the 
individuals and the community. In this 21st century VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. So rather than bringing anything new to the table, this integration value seeks a flexible balance in the existing values as a way forward towards an education system that truly is the best for the hugely diverse needs of the students today and for the future. So we believe that by explicitly defining the core values of our schools, we can hone in on our strengths and also the things that are challenging us. Now, one of the ways we do this is through analyzing eight aspects of education. And we find these in all schools and places of learning. So those eight elements are the beliefs and responses of the individuals, the shared communities and cultures, the observable actions and resources, and finally the systems and the physical or digital environments. So we think that through an honest and open process, we can grow stronger in the things we already do well, and we can solve the problems that are holding us back. So join us today as we look into how we can put these values and these beliefs into action and reinvent education. Oh, thank you very much. A round of applause to you, Brennan. So thanks for that. So anyone who's new to us, that's the general framework that we're coming from. And anyone who's listened to us before, you've heard that a few times and you've also heard us now apologize quite a few times for repeating that at the beginning of every episode. But I think it's starting to marinate uh, in my mind and Brennan, good job on making that even, even more concise than we have done previously. So shall we launch into the actual responses we've seen in some of the countries we're associated with. So you're in Japan, I'm in Belgium at the moment, but you're coming from the UK educational system and I have a background in the Canadian system. So let's look at those four countries and how they've approached the lockdown or closure of schools in response to the coronavirus. Okay, so we're starting with Japan where I'm currently based. I'm in Osaka. So the, the government recommended at the end of February that schools shut down for two weeks. It was a it was only a recommendation and each prefecture made its own decision. Osaka decided to close down for the two weeks, which essentially then became three weeks. And we've now had a week of spring break, so we've been closed for four weeks. Um, we're currently due to go back in on the 8th of April, and so there'll, but there'll be a government announcement on the 3rd of April to tell us if that's going to happen. And we're all kind of wondering what the criteria might be for going back. Um, some schools have opened on kind of a rotating schedule that have brought a few classes in here and there to get work done at certain times. And the government has actually said that schools can offer uh, a place for students who don't have any parents at home and can't be looked after and are not old enough to stay in by themselves. So they will provide, in some cases, in some schools, a space for those kids. But essentially, all classes have stopped and they have moved into a system that we'll describe in more detail later in the program. Now, one of the big things is exams, because it's hit at this time of year when schools around the world are taking exams. So Japan was, they have, they do have prefectural-wide tests, middle school and high school. But it's an interesting system. So if you want to, you don't take the test at the school you're at. You take the test at the school you want to go to. But it, so it's kind kind of like an, an entrance exam, but it's a standardized test. But they went ahead and had, had these tests, even though the schools were shut down. They went ahead and had these tests. They brought the kids together just for a couple of sessions and they had the tests. So it was actually business as usual in that case. And so because of the timing, the school year ended. And so there wasn't such a big pushback about closing the schools because essentially the school year had ended and the exams had more or less been done. So the real question is what happens at the beginning of April when we're all due to go back and especially the Japanese state system is due to start its new school year. So that's where we're at in Japan. How about Belgium, where you're currently at, Rob? Yeah, so Belgium had received some criticism for having a slightly laissez-faire approach to the virus at first, while other 
while some countries around Belgium were already taking some lockdown measures, Belgium was taking a bit of a wait-and-see approach. Um, Then Thursday, March the 11th, it was sort of like, okay, now Belgium is going to react, and their measures came in quite quickly and swiftly to perhaps make up for lost time. So there is this kind of now famous late-night, midnight meeting that happened on Thursday night, and essentially schools and businesses woke up Friday morning, the 12th, to the news that, hey, there is a conference at midnight last night announcing that starting Monday, all schools uh, will be closed. Uh, And as well, here's lockdown measures for bars, restaurants, cafes to be closed and, and whatnot. So it was kind of like literally from one night to the next, a lot of these measures came into place. Now, the somewhat confusing part was they didn't actually say schools are closed. And I realize I just said that two or three sentences ago. The official wording was classes are canceled. Now, in the initial kind of press release, there was some confusion brought about by this because that wasn't entirely clear of, does that mean no lessons whatsoever? uh, Or does it mean no physical lessons in the physical school buildings? And that's been, from my understanding, somewhat left open to the interpretation of individual schools or school boards. So in some cases, that does mean literally no lessons whatsoever. Uh, To some, that's meant learning as usual, but from a distance. And for some, it means, well, there's some work being sent home, but of course, it's a disruption in the normal world of things. There is care available at the school buildings still for children of the military, healthcare workers, or government officials who cannot find alternate arrangements. So there are actually school staff still reporting to the physical buildings uh, to offer care, but they are not offering lessons for the children at this time. Um, And week by week, the what that care looks like has evolved from, oh, yeah, you can kind of be in the same building to what I understand most recently is like there needs to be, you know, two meters distance kept between you and really specific arrangements in terms of where people are and for how long and whatnot. Uh, It was announced that this will continue until April 19th and then will be re-examined then. But in the press conference where they announced this April 19th date, there were already huge hints given that they will re-evaluate at that time, but that we should expect that this will continue as is until at least early May. So um, yeah, so classes cancelled and the country has been kind of left up to to interpret that as they will. Uh, as far as exams go, as of this moment, from my understanding and my ability to translate and cipher through the, or sort through the French and Flemish information I'm surrounded by, um, the exam situation that's still being sorted out at this time and, and probably not decided until April 19th or, or early May. How about the UK? Yeah, so... So Britain has closed its schools about a week ago now. And the official government response, which you can find on the Ministry of Education website, is that schools are closed until further notice. There haven't been anything official to hasn't been anything official to counter the rumors that school will stay closed until the summer break. And that's it, really just up in the air. What has happened is that the schools will remain open in some capacity for uh, vulnerable children, as in those in care and those who may be on the books of the so- social services and, and also key workers. 
which has been a somewhat um, interesting term to see it being defined and redefined. Obviously, frontline medical staff, yes, and drivers of um, goods around the country, and then shop staff. And so there's been this interesting debate flying around about what constitutes a key worker. But essentially, if you're if you are one of the key workers or you're a vulnerable child, they the schools are still open for you and operating in a very small capacity. The schools I know that are doing this is it's maybe five percent of the kids, and the rest are at home. In terms of the exams, now you know we have GCSEs at sixteen, which are quite important. In, I know in North America, when you graduate middle school, the, it is a graduation ceremony similar to Japan. But in Britain, that actual 16 is, is really an important time because there's a total break between the 16 and 18 kind of educational establishments. So at 16, you take your GCSEs and then you move on to a completely different college to do your a levels or some vocational course so but all those have been cancelled so this, the exams that gcsc students at 16 would be taking as have the a levels that would be taken 18 and basically are your preparation for university higher education establishments are still open as far as i understand based on their own uh, discretion so there this uh, cancelling of all of these qualifications the gcsc and a levels has meant that they're in a, a weird situation of trying to come up with substantiated grades for students because they still need the grades so as they can move on in september and so they're in this weird position and again the government have to their credit released a bunch of information about how they're trying to go about this process and it looks like they're trying to use mock exams that may have been taken in january and other evidence that teachers can uh, provide and we do a process of moderation i guess where you get and we, we do this sometimes in schools anyway if you're in education you'll probably know this where several teachers will sit together with a piece of student work or a sample of student work and they will they will grade them together so the kind of that's where they're at and these these grades that you receive will be fully accepted as as if you had actually taken the exams and there's a there's a whole bunch of weeds and stuff that we that you get into about what happens if you not you don't like the the scores you get and so on they're, they're kind of talking through those details and it's that in itself is quite an interesting uh, kind of morass that they're stuck in that the they uh, will find some way through i'm sure so the uk didn't respond that quickly either and there was some criticism of the slow response from britain but now they have made this quite strong kind of lockdown on people uh, both in schools but also businesses and homes what's the kind of state of play in canada rob yeah so the virus spread to canada uh, on the timeline a little bit later than it did to europe and so this past week uh, is kind of the week that Canada began a lot of its actions. So I think it was March 23rd that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau came out and announced essentially a shutdown for Canada. Um, the difficulty with education is that in Canada, education is actually a provincial and territorial matter. So it's not a federal government decision. So there's actually some variation between the different provinces. But overall, across all the provinces and territories, uh, schools are closed until further notice. And local school boards are being tasked with sorting out what a, quote, continuation of learning, end quote, will look like. So there is this idea that the learning will continue, but it's up to boards to decide what that will look like. It doesn't have to be a province-wide solution to things. 
Uh, it's also been stated some level of care is being provided for children of essential workers in some or at least most provinces from what I saw. And for most provinces, this uh, kind of timeline right now aligns with the March break or the spring break. So for a lot of provinces, it means this announcement has come when students are already out of school and on break. And the idea is that once the break ends, uh, classes, at least physical classes, will not resume. And there is definitely some care um, for student well-being and making sure no one's being left behind. I've seen multiple stories of school boards offering out school resources like tablets and other things like that um, to homes where maybe there isn't a home computer during this time where um, internet access and things like that are vital for, for the plans to continue. So there is this sense, I think, that we don't want to leave anyone behind at this time. As far as exams, from what I read, um, in most cases... If this continues longer, students will receive a final grade, and those who were already on track to successfully finish the year will do so. There won't. There's been no talk, at least that I've heard of yet, of classes continuing into the summer or anything like that. Uh, and from what I have read, all standardized testing has been canceled. So the uh, testing between grade levels and whatnot to see student achievement that has been scrapped for this year. And and likely resumed for next year. So one of the things that you and I have been talking about, Brendan, is how our narrative on this show of this idea of the kind of three different values and then a fourth value of integration seems to be kind of holding merit or holding its weight in this situation because we've seen each of these three values approach this forced experiment of online or distance learning at least in their way <laughs> like we've seen kind of three fairly distinct things happening and the things we're seeing seem to really match our narrative of what we'd expect almost stereotypically from each of these values so we've got the traditional school the the security value we've got the mainstream or opportunity value school and we've got the progressive school the inclusion value and it might be interesting just to kind of walk through each of each values kind of mindset initial thoughts their kind of narrative about what's happening so let's start with the traditional security-minded schools this as you said in the nutshell piece this is a school that's based on tradition you know there's kind of one way to do things self-discipline is is kind of a priority here and for a lot of these schools this is kind of a scary time right now there's really this sense of like we can't carry on as things should be right now and this is almost a bit of a like holiday mode for students and but what is most important at this time is this sense of community and that's one of the babies of the traditional security-minded school this sense of community of togetherness of almost family within a school and that, from what I've seen in some of the examples of traditional schools, is popping to the forefront. It's like, okay, the academics maybe takes a bit of a backseat. We want to know that we're all in this together. We can't just get together and hang out at the park right now, you know, with physical distancing and whatnot. Um, so let's at least meet up online. And, you know, the priority when we're there is that sense of togetherness. But they're underlying all of that. There is just this sense of we'll get back to normal. This is almost like warlike. Like this is a unique situation that we just have to hunker down, do your duty, do the right thing, do what's being asked of you, do what you're being told, and we'll beat this. And don't worry, everything will go back to the way it should be. This is a temporary disruption, but soon enough we'll be back in the room together. I'll be leading the lessons as the teacher. You'll be doing your work again, and we won't have this disruption that we've had. Now you may ask, where are we getting this? Where are we getting this from? 
And we've spoken to a lot of teachers. We work with a lot of teachers. We've read a lot of things. So there may be a little bit of straw personing here, but we're trying our best to give a synthesis of the kind of value, the kind of thoughts that we've encountered from teachers who are more traditional. So if I look, you know, many of my friends, family, colleagues work or have kids in a mainstream British or North American school. And so Obviously, the first thoughts were somewhat different. And yes, of course, they still care about the community. And of course, the students are really important. But it's it's important to see in this mindset that the it's more like, well, this isn't going to take us off our track. We have we have a plan. We still have a curriculum to cover. We still have goals to meet along the way. And like we said with the exams, there'll be no test this year, but we're still going to find a way to get you that qualification. So there are adjustments and adaptations that we need to make to overcome the obstacles that are in our path so we can still accomplish the goals that we've set for ourselves and stay on track as much as possible. Yes, we care. Yes, everything we had before is still important but we will face this challenge and we will adapt and overcome and I think that is that's that's very much a mindset that we have in the more mainstream education and again that's not to downplay the curve but but it's a very important aspect of the mainstream education to continue along the track towards our goals. And then if we look at the progressive school, a school that values inclusion, essentially they seem like the most ready for this or the most adaptive for facing some of these challenges because a lot of these progressive schools have kind of deconstructed school as it's seen in the mainstream or traditional schools. And physical spaces, timetables, these kinds of things that have such a stranglehold in the traditional and mainstream school, they were already flexible for progressive schools. So a lot of progressive schools, for example, and we'll talk about this later, already in their day-to-day functionings had a lot of digital platforms or whatnot. So when the students have to leave that physical school, it's still a lot of this is just kind of business as usual. So I think right now, a lot of the progressive schools, they'll be looking at this experience and just trying to find what is important at this time. And there is that sense of, we don't want to leave anyone behind at this time. We want to make sure no one's marginalized because of this experience. But now when we do return, I think the progressive schools, they'll, they're most likely the ones that will sit down and reflect on this and go, okay, after that experience, what do we want to return to? And from this, these last several weeks or months, what do we want to keep that we wouldn't have tried otherwise? Um, because everything's kind of on the table. Everything's a negotiation in the progressive and inclusion school. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. And the idea is they'd already kind of in many ways moved beyond needing that physical space. And the biggest change without a doubt is that we're no longer in the same physical space. And that has, seems to have upturned the traditional school's apple cart massively and the mainstream school to a somewhat of a degree and of course the progressive schools are still feeling the 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 shake-up that this that this kind of um situation has brought and of course they're still having to deal with as the rest of us are the nature of being quarantined in in homes and not being able to spend time with loved ones. But in terms of the actual systemic change, it looks like the progressive schools were ready for this. And that makes sense within our narrative that they are more flexible and adaptive. But we're saying that 
There's something to be gained from looking at how each of these school systems, the traditional, the mainstream, the progressive, have dealt with this situation. Now, one of the ways, as I mentioned in the in a nutshell segment, one of the ways we analyze schools is by looking at those eight areas. And we look at the beliefs and reactions of the individuals. We look at the communities and cultures. That's our shared kind of togetherness we look at the activities and the resources and we look at the environment and the systems and so i think it makes a lot of sense if we look into each of these areas and to see how the traditional mainstream and progressive schools have kind of dealt with this very unusual situation so far so which of those areas do you think we should start with rob yeah well let's lead off with environment and systems because you had uh, alluded to the fact that For all of these values, we've now lost the physical environment. So if we're looking at the environment and systems of schools, what does your school look like when you can't go to the physical building? That's kind of the inquiry question that's happening worldwide right now. And essentially that physical environment for most schools is being replaced by some kind of digital environment. So we can look at the technology use to create the learning environment. And as well, we can look at the technology as the system that the school is depending on right now. And a lot of these traditional schools, they were generally not using a lot of technology to begin with. There's still a lot of, you know, physical concrete materials, paper-based worksheets, textbooks, all these sorts of things, um, and hadn't really embraced a lot of the digital things. And I'm not saying digital is the only way you have to go, but just simply pointing out that there largely wasn't a lot of digital integration to begin with, um, and likely not some kind of digital platform in place already to make the exchange of material and teaching and learning happen between teacher and home life. And this is the interesting part. We've seen an explosion in platforms like Seesaw, Zoom, uh, Google Docs, the Microsoft, one that I was unfamiliar with and I've just started to hear everywhere in the last few days. So there wasn't one of these platforms already in place in the traditional school. But if we hop up and start looking at the mainstream school, a lot of these mainstream schools already had some reliance uh, on some technology. So I know like from myself, for example, I've used the Raz Kids program, which is like a digital online library of texts that students can access at their reading level, for example. Um, And there might be some use of online platforms. Maybe it was Google Docs to submit something or Seesaw, these sorts of things. Um, So a lot of the work has been given for kids to do through the tech platform. They're still following the curriculum through this technology platform in the mainstream school, and things are staying on track. And the digital platform is really set up to facilitate that, whether that's to make it easy for students to upload work and easy for teachers to give feedback and and responses. And we might see some one-on-one or small group chats on Google, Zoom, that kind of thing. But the emphasis there is on ensuring you can complete the work. You understand what you have to do. You understand what success looks like. And that's why you would be meeting up. Um, So yeah, they... At the mainstream value, those digital platforms are there, but may not have been fully integrated into the day-to-day functioning. Whereas, as you were alluding to in the inclusion progressive school, in a lot of these schools, the blend of technology and kind of face-to-face practices was pretty seamless to begin with. There was this blend of this kind of mainstream approach, but more with the context being on the individual and some more differentiation that we're using these platforms to set up 
the individual to explore what's meaningful to them or into their own self-organized projects. So that's kind of what we'd see on the environment and systems level, that at traditional, there wasn't a lot of digital integration in the day-to-day mainstream, some, and at the progressive school, most of these platforms were already in place, and there's not a learning curve for students, staff, and uh, and parents as well to have to kind of catch up on how to use these things. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest change in any of these areas. There was no way around it. You, you We were forced to change. And the security value, the traditional value, is less open to that change and so had made less progress down that line in the use of technology, but now has been forced to address that issue. And I think it's interesting now if we move up into the the area of activities and resources, we kind of get begin to see how they've kind of dealt with that issue. So every school has to assign work, they have to mark work, and they have to like level the work and make it challenging or engaging for their students. So in a traditional school, what we're finding here in this area of activities and resources is almost a doubling down of what we did before in school. We want to keep business as usual as much as possible. And there's some necessary changes, but we're making as few as possible. And so what is happening in more traditional, traditionally minded schools is that the students will be given a, a pile of work or pages of textbooks, worksheets, or it may be put in a simple online kind of folder for them to get and to download that work is is focused around a checklist and you're told to do this 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 and you complete the work and then you will you either hold on to it until you get back to school there's some variants of the system where you will take work in at a certain time or send it in and then there's this is a simple digital version where you will upload your work into a folder essentially it's just given to you you do it you give it back The teacher may mark, but what's more likely is that there'll be no marking done or you won't receive any feedback on this work until you return back to school. You may, but it's more likely that you will keep hold of your work, complete everything, bring it in, and then the teacher will give you feedback and mark were necessary, were appropriate. And as we would expect to see in these traditional schools, the activities may be more mechanically based. As usual, they may be based on closed tasks where there's a single answer. And so these are easy for you to mechanically complete. You can learn the information. And a lot of this is stuff you already know. So it will be it will be repetition. Maybe there's not a lot of new material introduced. So that's kind of how the traditional school might deal with having to work remotely for several weeks. Now, the mainstream school that does have more access to digital platforms, such as the Seesaw portfolio or the Microsoft or Google suites that allow you to chat by a text, by a video, and to share work and to work on it uh, collaboratively at the same time. They may begin to assign work digitally, but again, it's, it's business as usual in the sense that the kind of work they assign will be very similar to the work you would have received in school. Now, what's happened is a lot of these online resources that were already somewhat in use, so maybe uh, a Mathletics, which is a math-based program, or a RAS Kids, they've just come more to the forefront and they're being used more. What can be done inside those areas is teachers can assign specific work for kids and they can actually get data-based feedback on how well the kids are doing on that work, which is which is kind of what the mainstream school wants to see. That accountability is, is a big part of their kind of 
equation. So the work that's sent home from a mainstream school, again, might have a clear checklist of what's to be done. But I think the success criteria and the expectations will also become very clear that you may not see this in a traditional school. It may not be explained exactly what you're learning and why you're learning and what success looked like. This also allows for some slightly more open-ended tasks. So there may be some essay-style questions, some opinion pieces, even some mini-project work, because now that we've started to assign some criteria, we can be a little bit more open in what we do as long as what we do hits that success criteria and again with the actual feedback and marking of work we're much more likely in a mainstream school to see students either working in real time and getting feedback from their teacher in a almost video conference style but what seems to be happening much more is that it's more text-based so students will upload a piece of work and the teachers will through whatever feedback function the platform has they'll provide some feedback that's actionable we'll be calling stars and wishes sometimes something that you're doing well something that you need to improve on and you get that back probably in quite a timely fashion probably within 24 hours 48 hours so i think that's how a lot of the mainstream schools in britain north america Australia and so on will be operating and so then if we move on to the progressive school again these schools want to essentially keep business as usual they don't want to be taking a step back into these more closed um, activities that you would see in traditional school they certainly don't want to give don't want to be giving their kids worksheets and having them sat for several hours filling these checklists in so what we'd see here is these these inquiry based or more open-ended projects where teachers may check in and give feedback in one-to-one or small group situations and the technology where it's used will be much more blended so it will be a case of as we said earlier some platforms will be used for some students at certain times and others will be used at different times and it's really just what's suitable for you and the the project work as it's assigned will be looking to access more higher level skills so whereas we saw in the traditional school we saw that they were closed ended tasks and they were very much about mechanical work in the opportunity at mainstream school you'll see a little bit more openness and a little bit more of the student's opinion and those higher order skills those of evaluation and synthesis and analysis those will very much more be as they would be in school continued here so it's a doubling down on what we already did and each of the three value systems the traditional the mainstream and the progressive are finding ways to continue doing what they already did before in terms of the work and how it's given out and how it's assessed anything to add to that rob or do we want to move on to one of the other areas of analysis yeah let's move on to the aspects of communities and culture so what's the shared beliefs the shared experience of what's happening right now and if we look at the mindset of a group of teachers in a traditional school right now, their individual experience, but also their shared experience right now is this kind of like shared belief that there's lots that we just can't do right now because we're not in the room. Most of the way we do things, our actions, our resources, our activities, how we structure things, it relies on us being in the room with the students. It relies on us being that authority in the class. So one of the biggest challenges is just out of the list of 20 things I would have done, what can I actually still do this week? And there's this emphasis of wanting students to uphold their duty to do work properly and to take no shortcuts for them to do it the correct way. And one of the big concerns or fears for teachers right now is how do I make sure that these kids aren't just cheating or finding a way to, to make it look like they have completed the work when they haven't? And the teachers are kind of asking this traditional mindset, like, how do I remain the authority here 
if I'm not able to be in the room with them. And there's this idea of like, well, there's so many things I can't do right now, and it's my duty to give children the work that they need to do. How can I keep them occupied? How can I keep them busy if I can't give them what we were going to do? And each teacher is kind of finding what works for them. And this creates some challenges because if you've got 20 teachers in a school and each is kind of finding the way for them to be the authority for their class, it might not be creating a very cohesive school-wide approach to this at this time. And this is where that pyramid of authority that's really emphasized in the traditional school needs to step up and the school leadership from the top down needs to present that unified approach. And we say, this is how we are going to organize the online learning. These are our standards for what we're doing. Here's how all of us will be approaching this. And right now, if you're one of the students, if you're the student culture in this traditional school, probably the biggest thing on your mind right now is just how do I do everything that's asked of me? This is a very new context. And my role is to do what worthwhile tasks I'm being asked to do. So how do I make sure that I'm doing these things right now? If we shift in towards the communities and the culture of a mainstream or opportunity-minded school, right now, there's actually this slightly opportunistic approach of like, what are the opportunities to take advantage of here? We're still kind of carrying on business as usual because our aim, our goal here is progress. We want to see where students are at and how do we get them closer to our goals. And there is this kind of like, well, let's put it on the table and do some problem solving here. We can adapt, we can change, but whatever we change, it needs to be in service of making sure we're still hitting those curriculum goals, of still assessing students, you know, their work, their merit, if you will. Um, so right now, the biggest challenge for teachers is just, okay, let's reorient ourselves. What are the learning objectives and how do we make sure we're meeting those? What resources are already out there that we haven't been using, perhaps, that can make the teaching and learning as efficient and as effective as possible at this time? The emphasis between the staff is how do we effectively and efficiently provide feedback? And we need to make sure that everyone's upholding these same standards of a unified approach and that some aren't maybe slacking and just doing the bare minimum as staff and some aren't going too far above and beyond. But we want to make sure that everybody has student achievement as their shared value as the most important thing at this time. Because it would be a shame if we, you know, this would be the ultimate tragedy right now is that these kids don't progress during this time. And if you're a student at this time, they're probably asking themselves, how do I know I'm receiving the same objective level of assessment at this very complicated time? How do I know I'm meeting the aims? How do I know I'm meeting the goals? Because I'm on a, a ladder. I'm on a staircase. I'm on a trajectory here. How do I make sure I'm not pausing or even falling behind at this time? And then we shift into the communities and culture of a progressive school, a school centered around inclusion. There is a bit of the idea of, well, it's kind of business as usual here. We've lost the important social piece of being able to gather and to be in the room, but we'll find ways around that. And academically, there are actually some benefits right now of working alone. And we're going to play with this kind of polarity of what are the social needs of the school and what are the individual independent needs of students, teachers, everybody in this context. And the biggest challenge for teachers is just how can I give students the support to follow their own paths at this time? How to make sure no one falls behind and how do I support the student's own learning journey, their own interests, their needs, their well-being at this time. So that's the culture. Now, Brennan, we've kind of hit on 
what the group is thinking, but if we go to individual teacher mindsets, the, the beliefs and the reactions of the individuals, what would we see moving through all three school values? So we've kind of talked, as we just said, about what you would think about the group. So each individual in the group is, is more or less in line with what you've just said, if they're in line with what the school is doing. And, you know, as individuals, we will step out of line somewhat, but we're more or less going to be in line with what's going on. So what that leaves for us up here in the beliefs and reactions is this concept of wellness or, or health for the individual. What are we doing during this time? to remain healthy, to remain well, to remain the able to be that functioning part of the society as well as this developing individual. So the traditional school, the traditional kind of learning community, what I can see so far is it focuses very much on the physical wellness. Eat well, sleep well, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. And I can't agree with, <laughs> I can't agree too much with that. It does seem to be the absolute key distinction between countries that are keeping the virus in check and those not so much alongside the functioning nature of the healthcare system which we do not have time to get into right now but traditional communities traditional societies there is saying sleep well eat well wash your hands take care of yourself physically and this is really really important at this time so that's the message i'm hearing from the traditional kind of school and if we can keep this contact and this sense of community during this time, that's also really, really important. Now, if we move to the more mainstream, I think the message within the mainstream is whatever you need to do to remain well so that you can continue on track with our goals and your goals, do it. That may be some combination of physical and mental health. Look into it, do what you need to do so that you can stay well and remain on track. I don't think I'm hearing... Anything that's specifically in this mindset that I don't hear from the traditional or the progressive. It seems like this is an area in terms of wellness that sometimes within the mainstream takes a little bit of a back seat. And this is one of the criticisms of the mainstream education is that it doesn't necessarily look at the wellness of the individual. But where it does, it's essentially saying, look at what the traditional school's doing and do that because that's really good for your physical health. And look at what the progressive schools are doing because that's actually pretty good too. And I'll come to what they say in a moment. But I think, and jump in here, Rob, if you think there's more to add, but I kind of feel that the mainstream school is basically saying, do what you need to do to stay well so that you can continue to function in the way that you need to. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that, you know, one of the signs of health from that mainstream worldview is just being able to keep doing what will allow you to be successful in whatever domain that is. And so this brings us to the progressive school and one of their... One of the biggest things in the progressive school is this idea of inclusion and this idea of wellness. And this goes to the mental aspect of that as well as the physical. So where the traditional school was saying, wash your hands and stay healthy. Yes, the progressive school is still saying that, but they're saying this wellness, explicitly your mental health is important. So let's minimize screen time where it's not beneficial. Let's move around. Let's still try and keep that sense of community. Let's do all of the things that keep us mentally well, as well as being physically well. So all of this works. It seems to me that in the other areas, there may be parts that we could say, hey, we don't want to do this. This doesn't sound quite right. I feel that in this area, what the traditional school is saying, what the mainstream 
mainstream and what the progressive school is saying. It just all makes sense. Wash your hands, go to sleep early, be well physically, but also take care of yourself mentally, you know. Do what you need to do, whether that's art, whether that's talking to people online, whether that's running a marathon on your balcony, whatever it is that allows you to stay physically and mentally healthy. Please, please, please do it. And that is not only the message of these three educational systems, it is my message to you, listeners. <laughs> and I'm sure it's Rob's message too. Yeah, and I think this is where our narrative of that integration value kicks in. And where we just say like, well, we can go back from the integration value and somewhat like a smorgasbord, we can look at the babies and bathwaters and pick and choose what makes the most sense for our context. I think if we're looking at what is actually the most adaptive, I would still argue it's the integration value, which we haven't actually spoken about here. Now we said that that inclusion progressive school approach is the most adaptive out of the three, but I would argue even more adaptive than that is the integration value that says, yeah, you know what? I'm not necessarily going to do just all of those things we highlighted for the progressive school because a more effective thing might be to go back and grab some of those activities or resources from the opportunity value. It might actually be beneficial for us to go back and adopt some of those shared beliefs of the community and culture right now. It might be adaptive to take some of that inclusion environment systems and the timetabling. So this integration value, it doesn't hold an allegiance to any one of those values, those previous three values. What it does is attempts to just see what is worthwhile here given the context from these previous values and I'll pick and choose that to create the most adaptive and, and beneficial strategy here. So I think the takeaway from this is just maybe having heard our rants and rambles here, what have you seen in your school that we've spoken about here? What's the version of virtual or remote learning that your school is doing and which of these three values is it probably coming from given the descriptions that we've given? Yeah, agreed. And I think what we're trying to do here is make those three types of school, make it explicit what they're doing and what they're saying so that we can say, oh, actually, this I'm more in line with the traditional school and, and I am in a traditional school, but I can see the value in what those other school systems are doing. Let's find a way to integrate that into what we're doing. So I feel like this is not all just in the abstract. This is very practical going forward over the next few weeks, possibly even months, hopefully. We do get to a place where we want to be and need to be as soon as possible, but we have no control over the situation. What can we take from the way the three different school systems have approached this situation so far? What can we learn from it? What can we put in place in our schools? You're going to be going back to school very soon. I'm going to be back in school digitally or physically within the next couple of weeks too. And so... I'm hoping this has been very helpful for me to be able to take some of these things into our school. And uh, yeah, please let us know if you're if you're listening to this. Uh, what are some of the things we missed? What are some of the things that you think we have put in the wrong value system? And what are some of the ways that maybe you can use these things in your school? And if someone's presenting an idea you disagree with, can you possibly see if they're coming from the same value as you or one of the other values. Because I've found this extremely helpful to develop some empathy and understanding between peoples, between peoples and people as well, uh, when it comes to our beliefs about what's the best thing to be doing at this time. 
Brennan, thanks a lot for this conversation. Thanks, Rob. We put this in at the last minute, but I think we've been adaptive to the situation and I feel like it's helpful. For me, for sure. <laughs> maybe for you, and maybe for you, our dear listeners. So thank you, Rob. Thanks, Brennan. We hope this episode has been interesting. If you want to connect, we're on Twitter. We're kind of building a community there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on what we're saying. Cool.